Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a unique set of processes that unlock the unlimited passion and potential of your team to create a 10x result in your business. I want to thank our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Local, and Cause San Diego. We're all focused on impacting the community of San Diego through the work they do as business leaders. Welcome to the show. Barbara Bree, a friend and past guest of Conscious Curiosity SD, introduced me to today's guest, Mr. Bobby Brannigan. Bobby, welcome. Thanks for having me. So I'm very excited to dig into your story and get the insights on life and business as a successful business leader. Bobby's a Brooklyn guy, kind of right out of the movies, working for his dad's local grocery store. And we'll explore that in some detail <laughs> a little bit later. He started one of the internet's leading online textbook marketplaces his sophomore year in college, which ended up being a quite sizable business. And then he later he sold that. And then in 2015, he co-founded Mercado to empower independent grocers to thrive in the digital age. So we've kind of gone full circle here at some level <laughs> from uh, the grocery business off to some other things and back to the grocery business. Mm-hmm. But one of the cool things about Mercado is it helps provide healthy foods and fosters economic stability in low income communities. So Bobby, such an impressive background. Are you ready to dig into the journey of uh, Bobby Brannigan? <laughs> Let's do it. Excited. All right. I'm going to start off hard with you here. It's Monday morning. <laughs> the alarm goes off. What is it that drives you to jump out of bed as if it's the first day of vacation? Sort of like, what's the why behind the why of Bobby Brannigan? Hmm. Good question. That's a pretty deep one. Told you I'd start you off hard. <laughs> you know, obviously, um, first thing, you start a business and you have certain reasons why you do what you do. And when you get started, you have things to prove to your family, people in the neighborhood where you grew up and stuff like that. And then, you know, as I've gotten older, it becomes more and more about family. I wake up in the morning doing things for my family. I have an amazing wife. I have an 18-month-old daughter. So the drive I have is not for me, it's for them. Not only to help them have a nice life, but also to be a great example to them uh. of the work that we do, the impact we create, how to be resilient, how to be thoughtful. But you know, we had our first kid. It got me to think about things a lot differently. Now I am an example for her. Changes the world, right? Changes a lot. So I think that's the number one thing for me is my family. As I got started, you know, I think in my head, it was proving to my dad that I could be a success. My father's a successful entrepreneur, self-made. So I think that was like an initial thing for me, but now it's, it's really all about family. And I think that's like the number one driver. And obviously beyond that, we have a, a great business, a mission driven business that I have a lot of drive behind to create the impact in the business. And my first company wasn't as much really an impact business. You know, we, there was good we were doing. We were helping students save money on textbooks, but it's really all that I knew. I was in college and it was only a few things in front of you you could sell. So textbooks was a thing. So after I had- We all need books and uh, I could be the guy. (laughs) Exactly. There's everybody here. So getting into Mercado, it was like, um, as you mentioned, the journey, it's almost like my own mini little hero's journey of- going away and coming back Ooh, to I where that. I grew up. But, you know, for me, it was it was about the mission. You wake up day in and day out and you 
do the work, it's so much better to do work that you feel extremely passionate about and you can see, you know, not just the business that you build, but also the impact you create. Right, exactly. Much more, um, it feels much better to do the work you do every day. Which is the whole philosophy and part of what those whole podcast is based on is principles of conscious capitalism and that, which is like, you know, a company should have a higher purpose, not just the product or service of making money. What are you doing that's more important? What's the bigger story? And uh, so your point, yep. that gets people excited, employees, customers, those are your stakeholders. So it's that bigger story. So let's flip this around. Yes. Not all Monday mornings are equal. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the mission, the impact, the family are all great reasons to jump out of bed. What's those Monday mornings where you go, man, I just want to hit the snooze alarm over here a few times. What's the thing you go, just kind of <laughs> takes the wind out of your sails. Yeah. I mean, some of the monotony and the repetitiveness and certain things like that are a little more draining, but at the end of the day, I tend not to dwell on those things because you dwell on them, you put it off, you just still got it later to take care of. So uh, it's one of these things. And, and, you know, growing up in the household that I grew up in is that my father got up same time every morning, got to work. There was no reason for delay. You go to the store, you're not there early enough. There's customers waiting outside. So you don't have time to kind of sulk and overthink stuff. You got to just do it. Get you got to move forward and get in there and do that. Thing. Love that. Yeah, Love yeah. that. So speaking of uh, family and their earlier years, part of the jailbreak view of the world is that uh, we all kind of get captured by the uh, environment that we, uh, we live in. So one from the world's model of success about profit and all that kinds of good stuff, but also our early training with our parents and the programming that we get. So when you kind of see her today and you think back to your earlier days, what were some of the things, you know, you said your dad was an entrepreneur, you got the, the family story, all that kind of stuff. What are some of the things that, man, just kind of got ingrained in you because you were just living there that's probably made a big difference in who you are today? Mm -hmm. You grow up in a certain environment and you don't know anything else. And I feel as though, you know, I grew up in a great place from a business perspective in New York City and Brooklyn, right? So um, business is everywhere. Right from a young age, like little kids in school are reselling stuff. I mean, I was in first Everybody's grade. Everybody's an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, I was selling my Yoohoo in the first grade. I said, Mom, can you give me four Yoohoos? Businesses all around you. And I think in um, when you grow up in a city environment, more so than other places. So I think that was one of the things for me is that as I had left New York, I actually had a period where I was aiming to play hockey, pro hockey. And I left when I was about 16 years old and I went to the West Coast and I went to Canada and all these places. And you get a chance to see the way other people think. And you're like, wait, this isn't, isn't this just... Um, Which is probably a lot different than uh, someone from Brooklyn, right? Yeah, isn't, isn't this just like intuitive certain things? Like, yeah. you know, like, and um, it took me a while to understand, you know, even as I went to school and we started talking about economic theory and price theory. And I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, if there's one Apple left and there's three people that want it, it's going to cost more money because we're going to fight for that Apple. You learn a lot of things when you're in business and you grow up in local commerce, which we could, we'll talk about in a little bit, how, yeah. how important this is to have small businesses in the community. But um, having a chance to live the small business life from a young age, at eight years old, I was working in my dad's store. Mm. So I learned how economics works, how customer service works. And his business wasn't a tech startup that hopes to make money in decades. Yeah, his aim was to make money to feed the family, right? So running a profitable business in a community and creating a high level of service and, and all of that. So a lot of these basic functionalities became just intuitive right out of the gates. And the things I had to learn were different, 
my dad didn't have a, a giant business, so I didn't understand scaling teams and, and raising money and other aspects, but the general core thesis of business was like ingrained in my soul. Had it all be there, otherwise yeah, you yeah. would be successful. Yes, right? exactly. So I'm very fortunate to that. Yeah. Probably. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. So what else, you know, living in Brooklyn? I mean. Uh, yeah, Brooklyn's a unique spot. Yeah. Give us a good story. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> I mean, I grew up um, in Brooklyn in the 90s. And Brooklyn was a very different place. I, I grew up in an all Italian neighborhood, Italian Irish neighborhood. So you can you could see the movies that exist and the the guys like, from the neighborhood. Like right the movies. Yeah, the guys from the neighborhood yeah. coming in the store, and those are the customers that would come in, and these people in the neighborhood that had a lot of uh, influence. I'll put it that way. But grew up in all of that environment, which was also very different. As I had left Brooklyn, I'm like, wait, other places don't function like this. Yeah, it was it was very interesting and special, and people kind of stereotype certain neighborhoods. I think one of the things about my neighborhood is a community. And it's it's the thing that I've always grasped and it's hard to find in a lot of places. I grew up where eight years old in my dad's store, I was delivering groceries at eight years old. So I'm actually still in the business of delivering groceries. So a lot of experience. But see things would happen earlier on. Yeah. <laughs> so I, don't but, go anywhere. But, you know, I would I would deliver to the houses of the people in the community. I knew everybody's grandmother they would invite me in and give me cookies and I would take out their trash. And so it was, it was a very interesting place where it felt like the old country, Europe, European kind of place, really, really amazing experience of having people in your community. Imagine having a thousand family or thousands of family members and you know, everybody and right. you know, and people, you walk down the street, come on, come inside. Like it was, it was really, really special place to grow up. People sitting on the, on the stoops, playing outside, all the kids, you know, knowing everyone. It was really, really nice. So definitely missed those times of like growing up in Brooklyn. It was so much fun. Uh, people opening the fire hydrants, everybody jumping in the water and people playing everywhere, block parties all the time. So definitely a special place. Um, so yeah, d totally missed those times because it's very different in Brooklyn now. It's everything has changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's even kind of part of the, maybe part of the fundamental issues we have in the world today. The community just doesn't exist like that. I mean, mm -hmm. you live in suburbia and, you might wave to your neighbor next door or know him a little bit. I think unless there's kids causing some sort of, you know, neighborhood, you know, connection, it's pretty easy not to know where you, anybody even lives around you, especially in California. So exactly. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Of interesting. But kind of interesting how you're a community guy now, right? Still going back and trying to serve the communities. Love yeah, that. and it's even more than serving them. It's, it's, you know, and I guess this in a way is serving, but like keeping them together and people... If you haven't grown up in a really tight knit community where like we were the business that fed everyone, yeah. right? So people, you really got to know everyone, but that connection is a really special thing. So it's for us, we're trying to preserve that connection. The communities have their own personalities, right? And it's, it's all of that. So in people keeping people healthy, people employing others and, and kind of taking care of everybody, right? The world is a lot more of like more of a tribe. Right? Yeah. So people yeah. are like, on their own now. It's kind of everybody's on their own, but it used to be very tribal in that way. Um, and we're trying to keep that that culture in the neighborhoods and, and kind of keep it together because obviously, you know, big business is, it's pulling it apart and creating big business that to drive price down and to commoditize everything. Right, right. Make it cheap. That's mm -hmm. our goal. Yep. So we're kind of talking about the old neighborhood. You're working in the store and those kinds of good things, uh, but you went off to school. Yeah. Obviously we're talking about that. And back to being the entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you, that, said, you said, just start a business. Yeah, yeah. And it was part of the thing, you know, like I grew up in the neighborhood and one of the things I really wanted to do is get out of the neighborhood. Of course. Um, and especially it's a thing in Brooklyn where you grow up in Brooklyn, you just want to get to Manhattan. 
Like that's how you've won in life if you've like crossed the bridge and you're no longer living in Brooklyn. Although it's very nice. So, you know, for me, it was like, oh, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of the bad influences and I want to go away to college. So for me, going away to college was, a, was like a, a decision that I made to kind of cross the line and, and to get, go bigger places. But that was, you know, went away did to your, college. Did your family, were they promoting that? Like your dad saying, yeah, we want to see you move on and go elsewhere. Or was it like, ah, kind of huh. seeing you taking over the business here in the future. I mean, what was the family dynamic like there? Yeah, yeah. My, my dad always wanted me to take over the store, but he definitely promoted getting out of the neighborhood because there was a lot of, there's always a lot of, you know, not always, but in my neighborhood, there's a lot of bad influences. Yeah. And um, to leave the neighborhood and to be on your own and to go to college, what a great place to go to a university, right? It was, it was something he was very happy and proud of, my, my mom and my dad. So, um, yeah, they were happily, you know, set me off to go away to college. So they sent the, the entrepreneur off to college yeah, and uh, look what happened. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't even know I was going to be an entrepreneur. It's just a, a natural thing. It's like, oh, wait a second. Nobody's putting this together, you know? So talk about that a little bit. So what was that business and uh, what all happened there? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, um I think one of the things in the kind of unpack entrepreneurship for me is that entrepreneurship has always been about freedom and um, always being able to have control of your own destiny, being able to create your own success. You know, I've always been a person that I want to work hard and be successful so that I can have that freedom and I can have the control of my destiny. It was something, I've, you know, going away to school, I had it on my mind. I wanted to do something. I didn't know what it was, but I wanted to do something and I knew economically I had to make my own money. And if I made more money, I have more flexibility to do the things that I would enjoy doing, whatever those might be. So, um, going to college, um, the business that I started was very, very simple in a sense. You know, you go to school, you pay an exorbitant amount of money for textbooks. You go to the bookstore to sell them at the end of the semester. They'll pay you pennies on the dollar for some and some they don't even buy. And this was in 2000. So it was earlier phase of the internet and uh, Amazon didn't even launch their marketplace yet. It's very, very early. So went to the bookstore to sell my books and they said, hey, we're not buying them. And I said, what do you want me to do with them? And they said, you could throw them in that pile over there. So I look at this mountain of, in my mind, juicy textbooks, like these expensive books that people paid $150 for biology, chemistry, all these big textbooks. So I said, wait a second, can I have the pile? They're like, of course, we're just going to throw them out anyway. So I grabbed a friend, I took the pile, and within a week I sold those books for thousands of dollars. So um, it's it's funny, you know, I didn't have this big idea to start a big textbook company right out of the gates, but it was like, all right, opportunity to turn a dollar into two. We did it. And then more ide ideas from that started to flow off of it. It's like, wait a second, how many students don't throw their books in those piles, mm. right? Because they don't want to just toss away, oh, there's books all over the campus. How many books like that are available on all the campuses across the country that people can't get anything for? So um, that moment of just seeing that pile, taking the pile and selling the pile is what led me to think about- One thing led to the one next. One thing led to next, another. Right, right. When, yeah. you're on, when you're on the journey, right? On the journey, yeah. And things start to open up. Yeah, and um, growing up in, in Brooklyn is maybe different than other places and you know, people and schools are more modern now in terms of programs they have for entrepreneurship, but- I never thought about venture capital or raising money with angel investors. Your goal was to make money and turn more money into a bigger business, right? So it's when we started the company initially, it was like, all right, like, how do we do this? If we wanted to, you know, we have this idea for textbooks to buy more books, sell more books. As we got into it, it was really just to scale up the operation. And we started then going door to door in the dorms, 
And we said, all right, if for every person that dropped a book off there, there's probably 10 times more people that didn't drop it. So why don't we go door to door and buy them? We know how much we're selling them for. Yeah. So then we started doing that. We started going door to door in the dorms of our campus. We then started plotting out other campuses. This was in, I went to school in upstate New York. We then went to Boston State, UB, Canisius, Niagara University. We'd go to the schools. And at the time I played on the hockey team. I hired the whole hockey team. Like, you guys want to work? <laughs> and it go. was good because you got some tough hockey players. And if you got a wad of cash in your pocket and you're going to schools, you know, you're not as worried about right. getting jumped for the it's money. It's like a cash business. Right? Yeah, it's a cash business. So we would go, we'd knock on doors. And I was the calculator because we didn't have smartphones yet. And I'd see a book and I'd look in the book and I'd say, all right, how many years old is it? What kind of book is it? And I would just come up with a price in my head. Oh, that's 15. That's 20 based on all these things. So, and then we ended up buying a lot of books. That business grew and grew and I didn't really have a lot of ideas how we could scale up beyond that. But I did have the idea of there potentially is a better website on the internet for people to sell these books. Um, at the time we were selling books on eBay and half.com. It had not really evolved yet. And the other crazy part about this too is that 99% of students weren't buying books online. Hey, was it the thing to do? It wasn't when even a thing the, yet. Went to the bookstore, yeah. Yeah, so um, when we came up with the idea a year later, the previous semester I had a class and they talked about Mary Kay Cosmetics and they talked about this like sales rep program. Mm. And I had put that idea together with the marketplace and I said, hey, why don't we create an online marketplace for textbooks and then we could hire students to be the promoters. And then students could make money promoting lower cost textbooks to their fellow students. And that's what we built. And like I said, we did all this by buying and selling books, using the profits to build the technology. I hired student engineers to build the platform. They also became partners in the business, but that's kind of like the, the earlier days of yeah. the business and how we got everything up and running. But we never, we didn't raise any money for that company ever. All self-funded. All self-funded. And you ultimately sold this. Yes, um, we were able to, we scaled the business. It took a while, but we scaled it to about a hundred million in sales. Only a hundred million. Without any money. We, so <laughs> That's a lot of money, Bobby. It took us, yeah, I mean. We, That's a lot of books. But we didn't raise any money. So it was, it turned out really, really well for us. You know, we ended up getting acquired again, 13 years later by a, um, the kayak of student loans called Simple Tuition that eventually got acquired by LendingTree. But they said, basically said, hey, we're giving people money for loans. Why not get some money back in textbooks? So they were able to remarket their millions of mm. customers and their audience and sell them textbooks. But that was how, that was our, our, our path. But obviously in those 13 years, without having any outside funding, there were many, many, many near-death experiences. Right, right. As you can imagine, in so many ways with the business dealing with cash and not having the experience. And I was telling my wife the other day, it's like, you know, it's kind of crazy. Our initial team, nobody ever had a job besides, you know, working as a kid somewhere. But for the first five years of the company, we had no one that ever worked anywhere else in any, after college. Well, they had you. You went to uh, the Brooklyn Business School. I worked in the school. grocery store. <laughs> right. So none of us, so we had to learn everything the hard way. Yeah. So that was one of the uh, lessons learned of next time it would be good to bring in some experience and to have mentors and advisors and bring in investors that can bring the experience to the table. Um, but we learn things the hard way. So as you can imagine, not raising money, competing with Amazon and a lot at Barnes and Noble, lots of big companies without any money as a first time business, that was an adventure right. to stay alive and ultimately become successful. But yes, like probably a half a dozen times we almost went out of business. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a great story. Yeah. That's a great story. There's the American story, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
So what was next? I mean, uh, did you go back to the, the grocery store with your dad? Or was that when you uh, went back and kind of turned some things around back there or started bringing some new technology? What, what, what was the... Yeah, so um, after I had sold the company, we had a period of time where we, um, we handed it off to the acquirer. And during that period, I was thinking about, like, what am I going to do What's next? What's next, yeah. And um, being in a business and, again, like the challenges and having very little capital, during the 13 years, your mind must be on point. I wouldn't spend time thinking about anything else but this business, night and day, right? So I, did, I wasn't aware there of other some trends. some work-life balance or anything going on. I don't know, yeah, no work-life. It was unfortunate <laughs> in a lot of years, but I got, you know, a lot You're of young. experience. You were young, I, yeah. That's why it was good to do it right out of the gate. So, you know, use my 20s up on that. But um, I was really oblivious to whatever else was going on about venture capital and different trends and all these different ways to build a business. So I said, hey, it might be good to get my kind of nose into different things. So I started doing angel investing. Okay. I'm like, this is a great way. I could see all these business plans. I could put small checks in companies. And um, I know a lot about startups. I met a lot of people over the years. So I probably could be pretty good at this. And I can learn a lot about what opportunities are out there. So I, I started doing that. I started angel investing. Simultaneously, I had more time in my hands. I went into my dad's store and I was looking around. And I he had no point of sale system, no social media, no website, and no e-commerce. And then it was exactly the same as when you left. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So there's no technology at all. And then I remember being standing in front of my dad's store one day and there's a big uh, grocery delivery company in New York city. That's been around for decades known as fresh direct. And they would never come into our neighborhood. But one day I was standing outside with my dad and we saw the fresh direct truck drive by our store. And in my mind, I was like, okay, this means war. This is our neighborhood. Mm. They're not going to come in and go into our neighborhood, especially with 13 years of experience building e-commerce. So it was almost like my rite of passage. Like this is, okay, this is what I must do. I must create the platform for my dad to be successful with e-commerce. And I didn't think it was a big business. I just thought, hey, I'm, I'm just doing this for my dad. Dad, you're not, you don't have to pay any money. I'm going to just build this. Right. I'm, that's me paying it forward. So I, you know, reached out to the engineers that I had worked with, my co-founders at my book company. And I said, Hey, can you help me build this platform for my dad? They're like, yeah, we're in pretty simple. They were <laughs> quick yeses. And um, then, you know, days later we started talking about how to build this company. And we're like, wait a second, this is pretty complicated. Should we build this for one store? What are the other 50,000 grocery stores? You can't help yourself, Bobby. Yeah, yeah. It was just days later, right? Yeah, it was right. just days later. We were like, wait a second, there's 50,000 other grocery stores across the country. And then we're like, wait a second, like the food category is not online. Like nobody's really brought food online and there's reasons for food not being online. It's more complicated. The perishability, the local commerce, deliver it in short periods of time. Like it's not like putting stuff in a UPS box that's not perishable. So it had not gone online yet. So independent grocery stores weren't there. So we said, all right, this is a great opportunity. You know, as I started reflecting more about what I wanted to do next, it's like helping people like my dad. And how great is that? You know, to help people, help my dad, but also to help everybody that. Because you know that, I man, that's where you come from, right? And, and, like, and I can, yeah. right? And I, I know it intuitively since I'm little. So I'm like, wouldn't it be great to have a business where I help people that I can relate to? Mm. So um, that's back how we the, got back started. Back to the higher mission of things. Right? That, that's where the mission like began and, and saying like, and I'm the type of person that's, you know, once I get onto something, like you cannot rip me off it. Like you'd have to kill me to stop me. And wouldn't it be great to have a mission that I would literally die for, to for this cause? True and conviction. People like my dad, I would help them till the end of time, right? So 
that's how it all was really like it, it locked in in my mind. I'm like, I must do this. So it was really exciting to be able to do that. And I would say not just exciting, but the mission, but also to reconnect deeper with my dad and to try to learn more from him. Right. Because before I had worked in the store, now I'm building you, a business. You had, you had a job before. Now, now you got a whole different yeah. view of it. Yeah. yeah. And now I, I can, I can ask my dad a lot of questions about who are these other stores? How do the suppliers work? How does this work? And so really unpacking the why and how everything's work. Cause my father's working in the grocery store since he was a little kid. So he had, growing up in Brooklyn, he worked at the local grocery store as a delivery boy. So mm. it's the same thing. So he's got decades and decades of experience. Things, so it was things great. that he knows that he doesn't even know. Right? Exactly. That's the exact just, point. Like, but in, in unpacking this stuff, right. you get to learn all the stuff with your dad. It was really special. Because you a system, you have to understand all the things and ask all the questions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it was also a special time to kind of dive into more stuff with my dad and also devote myself to this mission. Is your dad still running the business? He is. Nice. Yes. He's actually in San Diego today. He's, oh, really? Yeah, I was with him over the weekend. Should have brought him. Should have brought him in. <laughs> that would have been nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Headed to the airport. Back we could have got the real story here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that was really about Bobby. Man. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, so what's next? Where, where did they go then? I mean, you started this whole thing. Is that Mercado or is it the, no, no, the no. beginnings of that? or Just the very beginning. Okay. Uh, I, honestly, every day feels like the beginning. One of the things that I also liked about the grocery industry is it's enormous. And like my dad always says, like people always got to eat any, any economy. But right? not a lot of margin though, right? I mean. It's, it's less margin, but it's consistent, right? You, you serve your customers well, they keep coming back and mm. you can build a real business. Smaller margin, but massive, massive TAM, right? Big, big business. So, and there's many different subsets of this business, right? So there's many ways that you can keep on growing and growing. So to give you kind of like the, the path from the beginning and COVID was a really crazy wild time for our business. Yeah, and I can imagine that really um, amplified our mission, I would say, for sure. We started in 2015. We were growing the business consistently, doubling every year, adding more merchants, doubling sales. So, so share exactly what that looks like. So you, yep. you, you yeah. Tell, yeah. tell us what that looks like. You go into a city and what are you doing to help that community of small grocery stores? Initially, we built this technology and we spent millions of dollars building the technology to bring independent grocers online. And once we had it at a, the, the minimal viable product, we rolled it out in Brooklyn, New York, the neighborhood I grew up in that I knew. My dad was the first merchant. My friend Rocky was the second. Like, so I had, you know, people like that that came onto the platform. Back to those thousand people, you know. Hey. Yeah. Like, hey, come on. I'm going to make this for you. Give me feedback. So I did that. And then we expanded into Manhattan from there because like, all right, let's now, this is natural to expand. So you there. made it to Manhattan. Made it to Manhattan. Exactly. So we, we, we rolled out to Manhattan and, and essentially how we do it, how we did it then, and I'll, I'll explain more in the story of how it is, has evolved to today, but we essentially would plot out the city and we would plot out which stores make the most sense to bring onto the platform. Because the number one part here is that everybody's got to win. If you bring a grocery store online and they're not successful, you've wasted their time, you've wasted your time, you wasted the customer's time because they might like shopping and they can't if that store's not there anymore. So we've always been really focused on what are the right stores to bring on the platform. So that was, that's a really initial stage in rolling out a new market is you figure out who are the stores. Um, and we have some technical ways of grabbing ratings and reviews and, you know, what are the stores that people want to buy from online? So we would do that. We spot the stores and then we go door to door, sell them the stores, sign them up. Um, eventually evolve more to phone the phone lines and we call them up as we gain more traction and more notoriety. Mm -hmm. 
Um, obviously, a marketplace has the chicken and the egg problem of like, if you have no stores doing it, why will all the stores want to do it? You have no customers, why do the stores want to do it? So as we were able to get more stores on and we said, look, they're doing it. Momentum starts Especially if you launch a business in proximity and geographically, stores might know the other stores. Mm. And they say, oh, they did it and they seems like they like it. The industry is so small is actually stores will call the other store and be like, hey, uh, Mary, how's it going? Right. Right. So um, it's very organic in that sense. But basically, you know, we had in the early days grown from city to city and was going from Brooklyn to Manhattan and then adding the the other boroughs in New York. From there, um, we had gone to Chicago was our second city. Based on our calculations, it was the second best city to go after. And then it was a logic, you know, we had this progression of where are the density of independent grocery stores? Where is the competitive environment optimal based on, you know, uh, you know, how, if there's a, a lot of competition there or not, we want to go to the places where there's less competition and more opportunity. And that's what we naturally did. So um, to fast forward a little bit, you know, we got to end of 2019, we had maybe 350 grocery stores on the platform and then COVID hit. And COVID was like this higher calling for us because people needed us. And it wasn't just the consumer that needed to remain safe indoors, but it was also the businesses because what people, a lot of people don't think about is that grocery never shut down. And you have people that they had to go to work every day. There's this deadly virus. Nobody knows anything about, but you got to go to work. Nobody else does, but you, you guys got to go to work right. and you got to interact with people face to face and you got to put yourself at risk. So what we were able to provide is a contactless online ordering platform where they could continue to drive their business, not just the business owners, but also the employees could stay employed. So they could keep feeding their families mm -hmm. and they could feed their community. So it was like the ultimate calling of enabling the businesses to step up and provide the service the community needs to literally survive, to stay alive, right? So in that, there was a major calling on us to be able to scale the platform. For us, you know, in terms of servers, it was easy. You got this thing called AWS that's like, all right, scale in two seconds, so we never had any server issues in terms of handling the capacity. Where we had the issues in scaling our platform is that, how do you get a store to process a thousand orders in a day, mm. right? And, and this is a whole new thing to them, right? It's a whole new thing. This volume is unheard of. And what's really interesting too is that uh, larger companies couldn't even service the customer. You know, Companies like Amazon, you wouldn't even think, they were exploding at the seams and you needed to wait a month to get food in some cases. So um, we were able to serve people when Amazon couldn't. It was actually really amazing. And the reason why we're able to do it is because we were able to go from having, I don't know, hundreds of people packing orders on our platform to like 50,000 people in days because you took all the people that worked in the store helping customers and you flipped them to all take right. online orders. Right. Right. So the entire workforce at all of our stores. Amazon was still Amazon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they and didn't they have, have access like the that. The constraints of their warehouses oh, and how they wow, operate. Wow, that's cool. But all we right. were like, all right, we've got, got a footprint it. in all these stores and they're at like 1% capacity of what they could do or less. And now they're going to get all the employees. And on top of that, restaurants had shut down. So grocery stores were hiring restaurant workers to pack the orders in the grocery store. So some of the grocery stores were doubling and tripling their employees and servicing orders where their business had tripled, right? So, and, um, you know, we were on calls. I remember being up until two in the morning and getting up at four in the morning. We have business from Maine to Hawaii. So we have multiple time zones and stores were up bright and early, you know, 
Doing I remember what they one, do. Yeah. one market, Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia. I'm be on the phone with them like 6 a.m. their time, which was 3 a.m. here. And we're talking about like, how are they going to pack all these orders tomorrow? So um, that was really, you know, our big calling of making sure that first and foremost, platforms up, servers are set, and the orders can be fulfilled. But that was a, a, a crazy moment. And in that moment for our business, stores were adding, added to the platform nationwide. You know, over a thousand stores right. were added. This is one of those things, months. right? COVID was terrible for some folks and for some businesses, but, you know, it was the... They had to get online, yeah. right? So it just blanketed all these stores and we went from being in six or seven markets to being in 48 states, like overnight. Wow. So obviously in that, we had to scale up our team. We went from 15 people to like 100 people in only a few months. So it was, you know, adding a lot of people in a short period of time is very challenging. We learned that. Plus in the COVID environment. In the COVID environment, even harder. Or some people go, why don't I go to work? I mean, we all might die tomorrow, right? So. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> yeah. everything is, it's harder to train. Yeah. You're training groups of 30 people at a time when we're used to training one-on-one in person. So, yeah, so that's kind of the COVID experience. It was, it was a wild, great, wild That's time. a great story. That's a great story. Um, but in that, there was a whole evolution of the business that, that came out of this too um, that I'd love to share sure, more about in terms of that kind of deepened our mission for the business. So- you know, obviously, you know, we've always existed to help small business owners and to create more jobs in local communities. And what we found is that there's a huge amount of people across the country that lack food access, whether they don't have the funds to pay for the food or they don't have easy access to fresh and healthy food. So in about a few years ago, about two years ago, uh, the New York City mayor's office reached out to us, like in COVID, maybe it's two and a half years ago at this point. And they said that we have a lot of people that we can't get food access to. Can you help us? We love the concept of your platform where you're helping small businesses and you have this diversity of food to meet the, give customers the choice and cultural appropriateness of food. So, you know, we have international food stores. We have store, for example, New York City, 350 stores in New York City, kosher stores, halal stores, all these different stores. So the city said, wouldn't it be great if we can feed people that lack food access, but through your platform? And obviously you, we were excited about this and for the business, it's great for me. Also, it was very deep. Like I'm partnering with the mayor's office of New York city. And we talked about getting from Brooklyn to Manhattan, literally meeting with the mayor of New York city, right. To talk about feeding the people in my city, the city I grew up in. So it was a really, really special moment And for COVID. It was all these things, helping the small businesses, helping people in the city I grew up in. But we had then listened to the city and we created a, um, a way for them to give people shopping credits to our platform, buy from local stores and get it delivered to their home. We rolled it out. It was wildly successful. The utilization rates were going through the roof because of all the choice and the ease of ordering and all of that. We continued to make it easier and easier. We um, expanded the website into 12 languages so that everybody could understand. I think our customer service team can handle over 20 languages um, so that we can accommodate. And from that, we realized we learned more and more about the problems in America with food access and this negative cycle, this negative flywheel that's existed in essentially lower income communities. And um, to talk about that cycle a little bit is that, you know, what naturally occurs is that in lower income communities, people have less money to spend on food. So what do you buy? You buy food that has a lower, a longer shelf life because you can't afford to buy something and throw it out. You're not going to buy all this produce and right, no vegetables risk or losing it. Yeah. And then the businesses in those communities, 
you know, since people aren't buying the high margin products, they're buying low margin products, they don't have the room to take the risk on stuff like fresh produce, meat, fish, other products. So you actually get stores in the neighborhood that get nutrient dead food. And those are the choices people have in those communities. So we said, wow, what an, how amazing would it be is if we can, you know, not only help small businesses, not only help improve food access, but also improve healthy food access. And this is like a whole nother level of imagine, you know, the chronic disease rate is through the roof. Half of the people in America have diabetes. It's absolutely absurd. Obesity. Obesity. And many of these things can be cured just by eating fresh foods. But, you know, the negative cycle that I mentioned is that, you know, the cycle of not having the income, buying the nutrient dead food, eating that food, getting sick, lower income communities, diabetes and chronic disease rate is even higher for these reasons. So we're like, wouldn't it be great if we can partner with cities, partner with the federal government, partner with health insurance companies and other healthcare, healthcare providers and create easy access, easier access to fresh and healthy foods and incentivize people to eat better products. Um, and we did this with our New York City partnership. We actually, we started with food credits and then we enhanced it and said 50% off produce, right? And that's 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 important because if people want to stretch their dollars, like all, right, all of a sudden, right. it's um, economically it's a lot more feasible yeah. to buy produce. So I'm going to buy more of that produce, right? So it's a huge movement for us to get, to, to bring stores online in the communities, to create that diversity, to partner with cities, but, you know, with that, we're bringing all sorts of organizations together to provide this food access. And I mentioned city government, federal government, foundations, nonprofits like food pantries, also like the health insurance companies, Medicare, Medicaid. So you're but connecting lots of dots. We're connecting all these dots, which is beautiful for a marketplace because it's so much more powerful. The more parties you connect, um, the more value you generate as a marketplace platform. So we're creating all this value, but this is really the, the enhanced mission is it's reversing the negative flywheel in communities that lack food access and creating a positive flywheel where we help small business. We create local jobs. We provide healthy and nutritious food access and we improve health outcomes all in one. So like a four, four positive effects in one. Bobby. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm very, very hyped up. Yeah. You know, so Monday mornings it. are difficult. Like you said, driven by the mission here, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. That's a great story. Thank you. Keep up the great work there. Let's shift gears a little bit here. Yeah. Big picture, the world. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, every time we turn around, there's some crazy thing going on from uh, ceiling debts to recession to inflation to whatever. As a business leader, you're building this business. What, what are you thinking about? How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you process all that? Yeah, so I guess first part to unpack is, you know, this economy. And uh, as a subset of that is this, this economy for startup companies. Very challenging. We're very fortunate because I've operated, and me and my team have operated for more than a decade with no money in the past. Um, so we're very cost conscious and we know how to be efficient in doing things. But that's one part is that businesses must be more careful with every dollar. The business models change a little bit when before... It was, you know, easy to raise lots and lots of money and you could be very, very aggressive. Now you have to be extra careful. So I think that's what one part of it from an operational standpoint. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's great that we have the experience and we have an amazing team that is really um, has great tribal knowledge of this industry. So they know the ins and outs and how to do things the most efficiently. The general economy itself, less people have cash to 
spend on extras, right? So that presents a challenge. For our businesses, we're pretty balanced because we have food access and we have the legacy business of really just, you know, helping stores just go online and be successful online. So we're kind of balanced out there. So that's like my thought on, you know, for, for us, for, from an economic standpoint and startups, I think there's so many problems in the country and you got to really focus. So for us, we're just focused on, at the end of the day, helping improve out health outcomes. And it's amazing because we have a platform and we have the ability to do this. You know, there's not much technology out there that can do what we can do and the way that we can do it. And we're just working very closely with people that want to create that impact. And as I mentioned, you know, there's Medicare, Medicaid, city funding, nonprofits, foundations, and there's change happening, you know, and, and many of these different healthcare organizations, even Medicare, Medicaid, and they have different types of waivers to kind of spend on these big programs. But um, we really want to create as much impact as we can. We want to help these communities. And like I said, we want to try to re reverse that negative flywheel and make it a positive flywheel. Does that answer your question? That's yeah, no, no, question? You, you did a great job. I think two things was, you know, just the monetary side of things is how you need to think a little bit differently. But the big, my big takeaway from what you just said was back to, it's the focus. This yeah. is what we do. Yeah. Doors open as we keep doing this, more dots to be connected. Mm -hmm. But it's really about being on the mission, being on the impact and, and driving that meaning. That's what's, uh, keep focus on that. Lots of crazy stuff going on in the world. Let it happen. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, let's stick to our mission. Yeah. Yeah. If you try to think about too many things and focus on too many things, you really can't, you don't do much. You don't get much. My impact. goal this week is not to look at any news. <laughs> That's a good goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good goal. Yeah. And I'm feeling with walk the dog. <laughs> if I have had the urge to go look, walk the dog. I've been trying to meditate twice a day instead of once a day. Cause a friend said it makes all the difference. And, or, um, hop into my car simulator and go run a race, <laughs> but no news. That's my goal. Yeah. That's, that's my good. goal. It's very distracting. It's kind of heading towards the end here. What, what are you optimistic about and what are you pessimistic about? From a company standpoint, eh, Bobby's perspective, however you want to look at it. Hmm. I'm optimistic about our business, where things could go in the startup environment and the, um, corporate environment and valuations. I think that we're in for a period of time where things, the valuations aren't going to drive super high in a short period of time. So it's going to be about running a business effectively and efficiently. And it's important to stay focused on that. You know, I'm very optimistic because this is our skill set of being able to operate a business efficiently in a tougher environment. So optimistic in a sense where it's actually a positive for our business where we have less competition. It's your, it's your competitive advantage. Right? Yeah, it's a competitive edge. Like, you know, in, in for 2021, when billions of dollars were raised for quick commerce companies that mostly all evaporated, mm. that was stressful for us. You know, companies raising all this wild money because they were really good at pitching what they would do. And they, you know, knew, had connections to raise the money and, they were kind of impacting margins and, and really aggressively advertising, making it harder to acquire new customers and everything. So this environment is one that we're very familiar with. So it feels comfortable, but for a lot of people, it's not. If they haven't operated for decades, I'm aging myself, but yeah, it's been decades in business. So I'm very comfortable. So that's what my optimism is, is that in this environment, I feel very strong, very Opti confident. You're optimistic in the pessimism. Yes, I'm optimistic <laughs> in the pessimism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. And I guess, you know, pessimistic, I guess, goes back to like my side of, you know, will things change with the startup environment of these wild value? 
Uh, I think that's craziness how things were. It was just wild. It didn't even make any sense. It was everybody's chasing the next company that they could make a hundred thousand X on their money. It was just wild. What a poor use of very valuable money that can be used for mission driven businesses that can create a positive impact in the world. Just throwing billions at letting somebody get their groceries three minutes faster. Come on. Right. Does anybody really care about getting it three minutes faster? So actually, you know, glad that frenzy is kind of gone and people are more conscious about where they're, where they're investing their money and what, kind of impact they're creating to the world with what they're doing. Love it. Love it. Well, I'll wrap up with uh, what's the big takeaway of all the things you talked about, all the years of experience, all these kinds of good things. What's one thing you would say? Remember this. Yeah. So to kind of zoom into the current of all the crazy stuff going on and negativity and stuff like that, you just got to stay focused and just keep moving forward you know, in this environment and stop watching the news, stop watching the news. Don't get pessimistic. Don't get yourself spiraling on certain things. Just know what you got to do. Be focused on your mission and just do it. It was funny. I was watching that. If anybody saw the Arnold Schwarzenegger, the new documentary on Netflix, I haven't seen it. I love Arnold. He's such a disciplined person, but he's, he just says in it, he says, be useful. <laughs> My dad always told me to just well, there's, sure you're useful. there's the takeaway. As my, be, be I agree with him. <laughs> Just be useful, make progress, do things that are positive, that are contributing to the world. And you got a customer in your business, create value and be useful for them. If you're more useful than everybody else, you will win. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Bobby, thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for really taking the time it. to come in, man. What a, what a wonderful story. Yes. I was, I was excited, you know, you and I chatted over the phone and I was excited to have you come in here. I just knew this was going to be a great show and uh, <laughs> you're doing some amazing work. Uh, and I love how your work has evolved to this greater meaning and impact. That's, uh, I just got chill kind of say that. It's like, yeah, that, that's what it's all about. And I assume that everyone else associated with is having that same feeling popping out of bed on a Monday morning. So good Thank stuff. You. Thank you very much. So that's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe, comment, and most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Local, and Cause San Diego. We're all using the influence of business to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Lanton from Jailbreak Leadership saying, until next time, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, for we're all counting on you.